0: Shopify helps you
1: do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and include some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high-profile and under-the-radar cases from across the country every week. We are recording this on December 2nd, 2020. I'm your host, Anna Garcia, and joining us today is criminal defense attorney Joshua Ritter. Josh has worked on both sides of criminal law. Previously, he was a prosecutor in the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. But we have breaking news because Josh is a new dad. You had a little girl a month ago. What is her name?
0: Her name is Ryan, and she's gorgeous, and she's uh, given us the business, and sleep is at a premium, but we're very, very happy.
1: Congratulations. It's a wonderful thing. I love (laughs) babies. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much.
1: It's a wonderful thing. Well, we've got... Some crazy cases for you today. We we got these specially for you, Josh.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> All right. So these are the two nutty cases we're working this week. A man in California claimed that his girlfriend died after falling off of a bicycle. Except now he's been charged with her murder. But first, a case that we covered back in January has taken a wild turn. Frankly, it's unbelievable where this case is going. Let us go back to January 13th in Celebration, Florida. And this is a uh, one of those planned developments with beautiful little houses and wraparound gorgeous porches. And Celebration is near Disney World, to give you an idea. All right. Inside one of those fabulous homes, police found the decomposing bodies of a mother, her three children, and the family dog. And the only one who was alive when police discovered this was the husband-slash-father, Anthony Todd. On the outside, Josh, this was the perfect family living a lavish lifestyle. Anthony Todd ran two physical therapy clinics up in Connecticut, and he would work during the week, and then on the weekends, he would fly down to Florida to be with his family. Not a lot of families can afford that kind of a lifestyle. Right, right. Right? Okay. So already we know we're dealing with Really, a lavish, successful life. But the reality was, Josh, when you peel back the layers and you didn't have to peel too many, that Anthony Todd was in some serious debt. Serious debt. He was about to be evicted from that gorgeous house in Florida, and he was under investigation for massive, fraudulent billing, insurance billing, fake billing. Not only to insurance companies, but to the government. So... That sets the scene of what's going on behind the scenes, right? Right. So, Josh at the time of his arrest investigators said that he had confessed to killing the family. But since his arrest back in January, almost a year ago, he is now facing the death penalty. He has been indicted on murder and all of a sudden he has a whole new version of what happened. Of course. Yes. And guess who he says really killed the children. The mother. He says his wife, who is dead, actually poisoned the children, then stabbed the children, then suffocated the children. And then when she realized what she had done, she ingested some, you know, massive amounts of Benadryl. She did this in front of him. All of a sudden he remembers this because he didn't say anything about this at the time. And then that she stabbed herself in the stomach. And he said he was so upset that he went to throw up in the toilet.
0: Right, right. Right, right. This yeah, no, is the it, new version. No, it's pretty fascinating. It, 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 they, you know, you see this a lot where these uh, people commit these heinous, horrible crimes. And there's this moment of relief when they're able to confess it to police to get, you know, to finally that release of having that that carrying around this trauma on your shoulders. But then there's something about family, like that they have, they can't, they can't admit that kind of horrific um, action that they took against their own loved ones to family. And so he's, he's, he's backpedaling here to create some sort of alternate universe story, which absolves him of this horrible, horrible crime.
1: It's unbelievable. I, in fact, it's unbelievable because I cannot believe that it's true. It's right. frankly too convenient. Everything right. else makes sense, right? Right. The guy was under tremendous pressure. He was losing his business. He was potentially going to go you know, to prison for his alleged fraudulent billing, and he was about to be evicted from the family house. It happened during the holidays, right? It was between Christmas and, and New Year's or oh, around wow. New Year's when- wow. Because the bodies had been in the house decomposing for at least two weeks. Yeah, that's so crazy. So it happened at the holidays. It, it kind of all makes sense yeah. that it's horrific what he allegedly did., well, I mean, if he's the one who did it, but I think he did. Yeah. That, so all that makes sense. Now, this version of events does not make sense. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of curious as to what all of the forensic evidence is going to bear out. And uh, I think that the jury is going to have a hard time with this one. So what I want to do is I want to go back kind of chronologically and tell you everything that was going on at that time. Yeah, then please. I want to go into detail into his new version of events. So then you, the listeners, can can kind of say, wait a minute, right. whether this makes sense or not. And then I want to do also a little deeper dive into the fact that now— As if this were not crazy enough, when Anthony was four years old, his father hired someone to kill his mother. Did not succeed in killing the mother, but shot her, took her eye out, and Anthony was four and in the house when this happened. So, do you not find it unbelievable that forty years later?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, that's that's a. I mean, to add another fascinating wrinkle to this already fascinating story, but. At four years old, I mean, you have memories of four years old. I mean, he was carrying the trauma of his his mother nearly dying and his father being responsible for for his entire life. So who knows what role that played in in the man that eventually ended up allegedly doing these awful things. Yeah. Uh,
1: What are the chances? Father and son, one tries to kill the mother and the other one is accused of succeeding in killing the mother. Right. Right. Uh, or, or yes, wife is what I should say. Excuse me, the wife. All right. So let's go back to December 29th, 2019, almost a year ago. So an out-of-state family member calls the police in Celebration Florida because this family member is worried. They have not been able to speak with the mom, with Megan, the wife. And so Anthony keeps telling the family members, oh, the entire family has the flu and no one can come to the phone. Huh. Now, we all know that that's ridiculous right. because you can text. You can, you, can, you can get on the phone if you have the entire family yeah. is all of a sudden incapable of speaking.
0: Yeah, no one's so, truly unavailable nowadays.
1: No, right. absolutely not. So the family member calls the police in Celebration, Florida. They go, knock at the house, nobody comes to the door, they don't see anything out of place, they leave. Now, I don't know what these welfare checks are supposed to accomplish. I really don't. But I guess if it was a home invasion robbery, they would have found that. But so they leave and, you know, no neighbors had complained of anything. The curtains were drawn. There was no weird smell. So keep in mind, this is December 29th. That's going to give us the landmark as to when they were probably already dead then on January 9th, the local sheriff's department gets contacted by the feds, and I guess they do this all the time. The feds say to them, look, we're looking at this guy, Anthony Todd. We've been investigating him for some time up in Connecticut for medical fraud, medical billing fraud, and we are going to be arresting him. Have you guys, you know, do you give us an idea of anything going on, anything weird? And apparently, you know, still no sign of anything. Things are kind of quiet. On January 13th, deputies and federal agents go to the home t- with an arrest warrant. They are about to arrest Anthony Todd. They find him at home, and I guess, Josh, you could tell me more about this. When you serve a search warrant, presumably, don't the authorities ask, is anybody else home, and do they check the house
0: yeah. Well, they, they, they want to make sure that everybody's safe, right? That the, the officers are safe. They don't want to be walking in and, and executing a search warrant and there's people hiding in the closets with guns. So they will perform a a protective safety sweep of the home. And it sounds like in pretty much plain sight, they found the entire family, including the dog wrapped in blankets, dead in one of the bedrooms.
1: So that means that everyone was put together, it wasn't like it was you know a crazy thing, right? It it was very uh, calculated is what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah. Organized it, and calculated. It
0: doesn't look like it was some sort of haphazard act of, you know, in the in the heat of passion. It like you said it looks like it was incredibly calculated.
1: Yeah, and and you know So here you have everyone dead. You have wife, Megan, who was 42. Then the three children, Alex, who was 13, Tyler, 11, little Zoe, four years old, and Breezy, the dog. Everybody's dead. At the time that this happened, they they never released how everyone was murdered. And so the initial reports were that authorities believed the victims had likely been dead for two weeks. That brings us back to the original call for a welfare check, and they clearly had been decomposing for that time. And they said that Anthony had been in the house the whole time. They also said that he um, was making comments that he was uh, wanted to do self harm. He told them that he had taken a bottle of Benadryl, tried to kill himself. So they took him to the hospital for a few days, and then from there he was transferred to the jail. So you know he he without question was arrested and the sheriff's department said he confessed to the killing. So we thought, okay, this is one of those horrific holiday massacres, if you will, that happens, you know, when people completely right. lose it. Right. All right. So now let's fast forward to what he is claiming now. So Anthony Todd's been sitting in a jail for months, and he's been making phone calls and talking with his sister. Those phone calls are all recorded. In these phone calls, he is telling his sister that there's no way, it's not even that he couldn't have done it. He said, I couldn't protect the children because I wasn't there. I was at the condo, wherever the condo is somewhere else in Florida, that they owned another piece of property. Okay, well, Well, go ahead. (laughs) ahead. No, I'm asking you, well, what do you do with that?
0: I I mean, you've already kind of pointed out the ridiculousness of this. He, He says, on one hand, I wasn't there. But then, on the other hand, he has incredibly specific details as to how these killings apparently took place. I mean, he knows that Mom apparently baked a pie and put Benadryl and Tylenol PM into it, and that, that then all the children were separated and each of them was killed separately. And then she took some of the Benadryl herself. How does he know all of these incredible details? And then at the same time, I wasn't there to prevent all of it. So we're we're left with the idea that either Somehow his wife, if she did commit this crime, explained all of this to him as it was happening and he couldn't prevent it because he wasn't there, or he was there and he was watching it all take place and didn't do anything to stop it. Or the third conclusion, which is, I think, the much more reasonable one, which I think a jury would arrive at, is that he is, in fact, the person behind all of this and he knows all of these details because he's the one who did it.
1: And the children were stabbed and suffocated. So this is a very deliberate, violent, violent act for a parent to carry out on a child. Yes. I, obviously, I believe it's the father, not the mother. But either way, right, the, the, the two stories we're being told, it's of a parent. Yeah. So the level of either disconnect and rage, who does that? Right. And then when you're done with one child, you move on to the next one. There were three of them, and you had to kill the dog, too.
0: Yeah, these are, these are not quick, painless deaths. This, is, this could have been miserable. This could have been suffering. And you're right. And how does he go about committing each of these separately? No one's stopping him. I think, I think, I think the Benadryl, we, I mean, obviously we don't have toxicology from this, but I think the Benadryl story may be, may be pretty true in order to keep all of those people docile enough to commit these horrible crimes one after the other.
1: Absolutely. I think so. I think that you're probably right. There are little shreds of truth in all of this. The question yeah. is, in what sequence, right. in what order did all of this happen? Right. And the other thing is, if indeed he was so horrified by what his wife did, and he claimed that his wife killed herself in front of him, why did he not call police?
0: Right. And why does, he live-, that- why does he live there with them, decomposing in the other room for two weeks?
1: Because that's not normal.
0: No, 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 no. No, I think the truth we're going to find is far closer to what he immediately told police when they first arrived.
1: Yeah. And apparently in these conversations with his sister, he was trying to explain, because I guess she was asking, if you had all these problems, you had all this financial debt, because apparently it was massive. And he had all sorts of high interest rate loans that he had taken out to kind of keep all the plates spinning. And then the... Allegedly, the the reason he was fraudulently billing was because he needed the money to pay off the loans. Right. So it was like it, it everything was just falling apart around him. Right. And he said, "Oh, you know, she wouldn't let me. The wife wouldn't yeah. let me uh, share with you what our problems were. And you have no idea. She was so ill. She was so mentally ill. So he's saying all these yeah. things about the wife. He,
0: when he also brings up how she won't, she prevents him from getting medical care." Did you read that part about he's he's having all these medical problems and he said he needed medication and he starts to slip in this element about that maybe she doesn't believe in traditional medicine or something like that. And when I first read it, I thought, oh, this is where they're going, is that somehow he's got these medical conditions that weren't being treated properly, dot, dot, dot. He had some sort of temporary insanity, but I, I don't know what a defense attorney would do with this at this point.
1: And so far we haven't really heard anything other than not guilty yeah. um inside during court hearings. Other than yeah. that, the his attorney has not been able to provide us with any clarity on this situation. Yeah. Probably because he doesn't know what in the world to do with this. Yeah. I I also find that hard to believe because if he was indeed commuting back and forth, you know, if he really needed to go to a doctor, he could have snuck sure. a little visit in, in Connecticut.
0: Sure. You know? Sure. I think another thing that I'm really curious to find out is, you know, money problems is one thing. Killing your family is a pretty drastic response to that. Um, I'm wondering if there was some triggering event. Now, I will say that the fact that the the feds executed a warrant gives us a little bit of insight because one thing I do know about federal investigations is they are not quick. They take months. I mean, they're usually looking into someone for a year or so before they would ever execute any kind of a warrant. So I'm guessing these money problems of his were not something that arose just recently. I imagine this is something that he was dealing with for some time. I don't know if that mounting pressure is what led to all of this, but it just still seems so extraordinary as to why why we would end up with these dead bodies.
1: Oh, there's no, well, there is no answer. There's absolutely right. no answer. Okay, he, supposedly the wife didn't know that they were about to be evicted. It's possible that the wife didn't know how bad the financial situation was. She was a physical therapist too, but it it appeared that she wasn't working anymore. She was with the kids at home and he was keeping the two clinics mm-hmm. going. But it appears that those two clinics in Connecticut had pretty much shut down around Thanksgiving and these murders occurred in December. So, yeah. So I think- I think everything was closing in on him. When the feds were doing surveillance, they were actually watching his clinics. As you said, this doesn't just happen. You've got a lot of billing to go through, a lot of questions to be asked. If you're under investigation, you know you're under investigation. It is not a surprise, not in a case like this. So the feds um, did surveillance on his clinics. And on the day that they were watching, the clinics were closed. But wouldn't you know it? that paperwork was filed for 16 patients huh. that were presumably treated that day. However, the feds never saw anyone go in or out of that. So how could wow. they have been treated? So, wow. so they had that independent kind of evidence. Yeah. And he knew this was all going to come down, crashing yeah. on him. What I don't understand is, okay, fine. So this is happening. You'll defend yourself. You're being mm-hmm. evicted Okay, well, it sounds like you got a condo somewhere else. So, what what's the problem?
0: Yeah, Yeah. what what why why is the family a problem that he needs to solve in all of this? It doesn't seem like they're the cause of his troubles. It's funny too. I wonder if the money problems, you know, the the obvious fraud to generate enough income is that just to support this lavish lifestyle? I don't know. Was there other debts that he had that we don't know about?
1: Yeah, well, the debts were he had at least like 20 high interest rate loans, wow. which he had managed to take out. He had liens against his property, and apparently the debt was at least $500,000. Wow. Because it, it's like it's almost as if he had his own scheme going. Yeah. I got a loan here. I got a loan here. This is going to cover this. Oh, hold on. Now I got it, right? Yeah. So it was a really delicate balance, and it was all coming undone. Yeah,
0: he's just plugging holes in the levee, and pretty soon it all broke. Yeah, another thing I found... So interesting. You mentioned this to begin, but this town that they lived in, in Florida, Celebration, if you look it up online, you describe it as this kind of picturesque thing. It reminded me of that uh, Jim Carrey film, The Truman Show. Like, yes. it's idyllic. It's, it's perfect to the point of creepy, I thought. It was just so uh, every home looks like it is, like you said, the backdrop of a Disney movie. And to have this kind of horrific crime take place in that setting just adds another layer to this whole thing.
1: Oh, and we are not done with the layers because (laughs) this just gets this much more complicated. So in June, Josh, Anthony writes a 27-page letter to his father, but he and his father are estranged, and they've been estranged since 1980. Why? Because his father hired someone to kill his mother and almost succeeded. This is how Anthony grew up. Right. With the story in his head that daddy tries to kill mommy. 40 years later, Anthony apparently does kill his wife and the kids. All right. So his father, Robert Todd, gets this letter, which apparently is obviously shared with Prosecutors and also with the media. In this letter, Anthony details everything that his wife Megan did, according to him, the whole thing about giving them the pie laced with the Benadryls, stabbing the children, suffocating them, and and Megan then killing herself in front of him and stabbing herself in the abdomen. Look, if you're going to kill yourself, yeah. stabbing yourself in the abdomen is not how you're going to do it. Yeah, if you're doing it to yourself. Yeah. Okay. So he writes in this letter: look at, listen to the language. Long story short, (laughs) who in the world says this about their dead family? There
0: is children. Yeah. Not to trouble you with all the details. Right.
1: So, quote, long story short, she gave them the Benadryl Tylenol PM pie, separated them, woke them up at 1130 p.m., stabbed them, then suffocated each one, dot, dot, dot. At the news of this, I ran to the bathroom and puked. I was
0: weak. Personally, I'm puking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What does he mean by that? At the news of this? How did he get the news of this?
1: Well, yeah, there are a few versions flying around. He claims that it's weird. Was he called to the house because he says that she did this in front of him, meaning killing herself. And when he got to the house, she was still alive and that she killed herself in front of him. So did he just like stop by to get the, you know, the bills and see the kids or did he? I mean, it's absurd. It is
0: absurd. So so he, he shows up at the house, all the children are dead, and before stabs her wife stabs herself in the stomach, she explains this di- diabolical plot that just took place.
1: Yeah, and he throws up because he's so upset.
0: Right. And then yeah. lives in the house for two weeks. Absolutely. Yeah, pretty incredible.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. So I want to talk about this pattern, because clearly there is a pattern in this family and a level of of crime, violence, and dysfunction that is like playing itself out from one generation to the other. There's this fantastic piece that was written by J.D. Mullane in the Bucks County Courier Times. And I'm quoting from here because um, the reporter had this great long conversation with the prosecutor, the guy who prosecuted the father, Uh and who is now a judge. So I just thought, oh, this is wonderful that, you know, the memories of this case— in 1980. So in 1980, Robert Todd was a high school teacher in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and he wanted his wife Loretta dead so he could be with another woman. Okay. Loretta is Anthony's mother. So Robert Todd hired a former student, 20 year old John Chermont, and paid him $800 to kill his wife Loretta so he could actually marry the woman he was engaged to her. And Anthony was four at the time. On March 19th, 1980, Loretta was shot and left for dead in her bedroom. Police arrested the former student who then told police, hey, wait a minute, this wasn't my idea. It's it's the husband who's the mastermind here. It turns out that the former student, as he's telling about this whole murder for hire plot, he said that he had cold feet on at least two times. He was trying to kill Loretta, but the guy like didn't want to do it. Okay, they they tried even a plot to abduct her. I mean, it's just like the gang couldn't shoot straight. (laughs) So Robert uh, was growing impatient. This is Anthony's father, right? The husband is growing impatient. I need to get on with my life. Right, And I need this woman out of here.
0: I need this inconvenience taken care of.
1: Absolutely. So he pressures the 20-year-old and says, I'm giving you a gun. He gives him a gun, gives him a gun, and he also gives him the keys To the house, right? To the Todd house. Because that way, we don't have to worry that the guy can't break in. He was desperate to get Loretta out of his life. So Loretta was shot in bed. She was shot in the face. She lost an eye. And when Loretta collapses, the guy thinks, oh, my God, I killed her, right? So Anthony is home at the time. He's four. He hears his mother screaming. Um, There are descriptions that someone— and presumably not the killer, this is the part that's fuzzy to me, picks up Anthony and puts him back in bed. Oh. But the mother always said that Anthony always had nightmares about this. Obviously, who's not? Right. His mother's disfigured. His father's been arrested for trying to kill his mother. During the trial, the mother stood by the father. It was just, it was oh, horrific. Wow.
0: Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. God. So, so you're four years old and the formative years of your life, you're growing up with dad in prison, mom is disfigured and was almost killed at the hands of dad. I mean, you know, we, I know the point that you're getting to here is how could this be a coincidence? This had to have played a role in the Anthony that, you know, ended up killing his whole family. Um, and I, I agree with you. I don't know how, how a person in, like I said, those young formative years, this type of trauma could not be something that they could work through with therapy, right? I imagine this is baggage that he carried around for his whole life and had to have played some role in him being able to commit just this awful, horrific crime.
1: It's it's incredible. And, and Chairmont, this is the former student who was hired to carry out the murder, was given four years because he cooperated. The father, Robert Todd, served 10 years for the attempted murder, and he's now out. Now, here's the bizarre thing. It it makes sense to me that this relationship should be estranged, right? You as the son want nothing to do with your father who tried to kill your mother. Right. But now that he's sitting in, in a jail accused of killing his own wife and children, he now reaches out to his estranged dad.
0: It's the only person he can think of that has experienced what he's experiencing, huh? His dad has been oh. through this. I, I, maybe he has some some advice. It's awful. I mean, it's 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 you know. You use the word bizarre, but that's not doesn't explain it just right. It's just it's just a sick. horrible, sick. It, no, it, this yeah. is sick. Yeah. You know,
1: it is. The, it, I I didn't even look at it that way. That he's turning to his father because his father's going to understand. Are you yeah. kidding me?
0: Yeah, right. I mean. What else is there for involving this man, like you said, in his life, other than hey, dad went to prison, or hey, dad tried to kill his family,
1: <laughs> and he's out now. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, it's all Awful. good. Awful. I, I am, you know, I am. I cannot believe how cavalier this entire thing is. Four people are dead. Precious children have lost their lives. Innocent, innocent right. babies have lost their lives, and this guy is now acting in such a way,
0: oh, the whole thing just disgusts me. Well, the other question I have is, what was exactly the plan here, right? I mean, the, you, you, he obviously took some steps. If we assume that the Benadryl and the pie and the separating and all of that stuff is true, right? He obviously took some steps here. And all of that planning ended with everybody dead because then what does he do next? He doesn't go hide the bodies. He doesn't try to cover up the crime. He leaves everybody in a bedroom and sits around for two weeks until the cops show up. I mean, if it wasn't the FBI, somebody was going to come knocking on that door eventually, right? Somebody Mm -hmm. looking for the family, somebody looking for rent on the home, somebody's going to be coming to that door. And his plan was just to wait there. It's just so bizarre. It's like his thinking on this thing just ended upon the murders. With nothing, nothing beyond
1: that, well, is it possible that he had an you know this a massive mental break? Mm-hmm. and because none of this makes any sense? No, this is not someone acting rationally no. by any means,
0: no, right. I mean, even even the dad with trying to kill his mother, there was another woman, right? There's like, okay, I understand now why the wife was a problem to him. We still don't understand why the family was a problem to him. Like he said mounting financial problems, but what does the family have to do with that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like the, the classic, and we see this all the time, and it, it's it's still, it, it's mind-boggling. People who, rather than divorce, will right. kill the spouse, we see this over yeah. and over and over, and I don't understand that logic. Yeah, that, really? Yeah. Killing someone and then spending the rest of your life in prison makes more sense than a divorce that might be just a little ugly and messy?
0: Give right. me a and break. We've talked about it. Before too, it's the selfishness of all of it that really begins to get to you is that this man, for whatever reason, is dealing with stresses and problems, but instead of solving them himself, I'm going to take out my entire loving family. It just that I I don't know what kind of, like you said, maybe it was a mental break because I can't wrap my head around that kind of selfishness and insanity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, in February of this year, a grand jury indicted him on four counts of first degree murder. Prosecutors say that they are indeed going to seek the death penalty, and he has pleaded not guilty. We will continue to follow this case. Wow. Our second case is in California, and it is also bizarre. A California man said that his girlfriend died because she fell off a bicycle and hit her head. Well, now he has been charged with her murder. On April 8th, Jacob Krasimski took his girlfriend, 47-year-old Karina Lee, to the hospital. He told the doctors at the time that she fell while she was in the shower, and when she fell, she hit her head on the rim of the toilet bowl. He said that it was because she wasn't feeling well because a few days earlier she fell off a bicycle and hit her head. So clearly this poor woman is in, is in terrible shape. Okay, the, that story already doesn't ring true. It's a lot of head injuries that aren't treated until the the very end. So sadly, Karina died the following day at the hospital. And that's when hospital administrators called the police and said, Something about this is just not right, so Jacob, who is thirty eight years old, police run his name, and they find wait a minute, Jacob has an outstanding warrant and restraining order involving Karina, who has just died yeah
0: oh it's tragic
1: oh it's it's um it's unbelievable it it really is so. The police decide that because he's clearly in violation of the restraining order, meaning that he physically took her to the hospital, admitted to hospital um, administrators, doctors, everyone there that he was with her, he was in violation of the restraining order. So police knew that they could arrest him immediately just on that charge. And in the meantime, they start digging.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a smart move on the police that like, okay, I'm sure (laughs) he was suspect number one from the very beginning. But. They didn't have the probable cause to arrest him for a murder just then, but they did have it for that violation of the order. So quick hook this guy up so he doesn't go anywhere. Smart move.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So now they're digging around and Karina's mother says that Jacob was physically abusive. They thought, she thought that they had broken up and she didn't know that Jacob was back in her daughter's life. So that's very interesting. So the question is, is he back in her life because they were trying to reconcile and they really maybe did spend some time and go bike riding or is he back in her life because he barged in, maybe assaulted her and beat her up so badly. Right. 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 That, and then he had to do something with her.
0: Yeah. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. What, what if, What if she had actually been unconscious for those three days? And he just comes up with this nonsense about the falling in the shower to give him some sort of, you know, event, triggering event that causes him to go to the hospital. But you're very right. He could have could have showed up, bludgeoned her. She's unconscious for three days. And on day three, he decides, okay, well, I got to do something because she's not waking up.
1: Right. And, you know, we've seen cases where people bolt and they leave the person to die. Obviously, it appears that he's the one who inflicted the injury that led to her death. So it he would be the responsible one. I'm not giving him credit for going to the hospital. But it's better than not taking her yeah, to the hospital, yeah. right?
0: It's also yeah. strange, too, because, like you said, it doesn't sound like mom knew they were back together. Um, I wonder, had he left, had he just left her there, it seems like it would have been far more difficult for the police... To maybe figure out it was him that caused this murder. Now, I understand there's surveillance and other things. So maybe he was thinking about all of that. But again, I think, you know, a lot of times you see in this kind of criminal behavior, they they just think they're smarter than everyone and that they're just going to give everybody this really slick story and there won't be a lot of follow-up questions. So he thinks, well, I'll just take her to the hospital, tell them that she fell down and then kind of wipe my hands of this and be on my merry way. It's
1: just really frightening when you think that that especially for karina's mother when you think your daughter's finally safe you've got a restraining order he's going to stay away clearly it became very dangerous yeah. and all of a sudden you don't know that he's back in her life well he he may not be right right she may have taken him back or he may have barged in to try and right. get her back and then yeah. and and then just killed her so the autopsy shows that Karina had a brain hemorrhage and that she probably had received that three days prior to her death. And the coroner determined that the injuries that she sustained were not consistent with a bicycle fall. So that seems to be a completely made-up story. Now, um, there had been problems with the couple. Okay, there's the restraining order, right? There's there's already some court records. The two shared an apartment in Livermore, California, and neighbors say that they did hear screams coming from the apartment at least twice. On one occasion the neighbor did not call police and on the second occasion a neighbor did call police. Cops come out, knock on the door, nobody comes out, lights are out, and that's it. Is that standard?
0: Yeah, again we got another one of these welfare checks that kind of doesn't go anywhere um it is standard and you know the police they they have to operate on probable cause we obviously don't want the police just banging down doors just because somebody called 911 so somebody calls 911 says i hear screaming they respond i'm sure they bang on the door they try to get a response but they don't have a reason to legally go inside unless they see obvious signs of distress you know a broken window They hear screaming themselves, but if they show up to an empty home and nobody responds, it's really not on them to go any further.
1: Jacob was arrested in April, but he was not formally charged with Karina's murder until August. He is facing a murder charge. He's also facing counts of false imprisonment and criminal threats. He has apparently not entered a plea yet, and the next hearing is scheduled for December 9th.
0: Yeah. Those charges um, are interesting too, because it leads me to believe that there's a lot more to this that we don't know about, um, especially the false imprisonment. There must be some sort of evidence, like you said, that maybe she didn't want him there and that maybe he was holding her there beyond, um, you know, without her permission um, against her will. Um, that's going to be interesting to see how, what evidence backs up those charges.
1: So, Josh, you're pointing out that there's more than just a murder charge
0: here, right? Right.
1: What do you think is going on?
0: Right. Well, these other charges are interesting: the false imprisonment, the criminal threats. It's it's going to be fascinating to see what evidence supports that. Another thing to consider here is that um, there's a unique evidence code that applies to these types of cases. So, usually, if you're charged with a crime. You cannot bring in evidence of prior bad acts, they call it, because you're on trial for the crime that you're charged with, not for a bunch of things that you're not accused of and not charged with. We don't want people being convicted for things that they're not charged with, except when it comes to domestic violence. In domestic violence cases, we do allow for presentation of prior bad acts, even if they're uncharged crimes, to show propensity. In other words, we want the jurors to understand that this person has been violent with this person or other individuals in the past and therefore has the propensity to have committed the crime that they're accused of. What's also interesting about this crime is that it was passed by the legislature in California in 1996. The reason for that is there was a little case in 1995 called OJ Simpson, where the jurors were not allowed to hear about prior bad acts. And the legislature responded to that by passing this law, which allows for that presentation of evidence
1: so this crime occurred in california so you're saying that this law applies only in california Absolutely. to domestic violence cases that's yes. really
0: interesting yeah yeah it'll be fast and a large part of how they're going to prove this i imagine will be through those times where people called the police before or maybe the mom had conversations with her about how this man was violent with her all of these again like i said prior bad acts that are not individually charged crimes will allow the jurors to arrive at the conclusion well then he must have committed this crime
1: also i'd be very curious to to find out what the forensics in her apartment will reveal yeah because if the attack whatever injury that she sustained to her brain if that occurred in the apartment right what evidence is there yeah. that will help substantiate the story that's, that, that kind of fits with the injuries with the body and not his crazy version. Oh, we went on a bike ride and she hit her head.
0: Right, right. No, it's, there's a, we, we know very little about this, but it, it it's it's going to be fascinating to see what, what further evidence comes forward.
1: The next hearing in this case is scheduled for December 9th and we'll keep you all posted. It is time for our comment section. These are the crime stories you all are talking about. A half-naked Connecticut man is charged after allegedly humping trees. I guess he thought he was a dog. (laughs) The man was arrested after officers responded to a report that someone is in the park sexually assaulting trees. Police responded uh, to this unknown man in the backyard. Not only was he half-naked... In the trees, he was screaming and he was eating branches. All sure, right, sure. so it was uh, it was an entire collapse of any sanity here. <laughs> the police said that the suspect then ran into a nearby house when they showed up, and of course, the people in the house then like got the hell out of there because there's a crazy man in their home
0: with branches sus- in its mouth.
1: With right, <laughs> like like a <laughs> right. little squirrel with branches, right or beaver, I guess. The suspect was identified as 36 year old John Figner. And he finally came out of the house, was taken into custody. But, of course, as he's being arrested, he decided he wasn't going to go easily. So... No shotgun. uh, No, no. Uh, We don't believe that he tried to hump an officer, but he (laughs) did apparently spit at the officers, and tried to assault the officers. I'm sure that didn't go over well. Uh, Figner was evaluated at an area hospital, booked on charges of second-degree criminal trespassing, disturbing the peace, resisting arrest, assaulting an officer, held on $25,000 bond. I
0: don't Bruce, know. I don't want to disgusting. touch this one. Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay, don't. No, who wants to touch him? Nobody wants to touch this guy. Are yeah. you crazy? Um <laughs> So, Tammy G. writes, I have just seen about everything on the web now. Nicholas B. writes, you can hug them, just don't hump them. Right. I like that one. (laughs) And Mel C., and that, kids, is why we say no to drugs. Absolutely. Obviously, it was a psychotic episode. Something happening. Something not good is happening there. (laughs) Uh, This next case is in New York. A man with a flamethrower gets on top of an MTA bus. That's, you know, the public bus system in New York. New York police say that a local rapper is facing charges after a video circulated online. Gee, I wonder what the purpose of the video was for the rapper. was this a little publicity stunt? You wonder. You wonder, yes. Uh, Circulated online, uh, this video of a man shooting a flamethrower while standing on top of the MTA bus in Brooklyn. Oh, the rapper is from Brooklyn. What a coincidence. According to police, Dupree, G-O-D, identified as 36-year-old Christopher Dupree. Um, well, he was slapped with some charges, including reckless endangerment and criminal possession of a weapon.
0: Incredible. Was everybody social distancing now?
1: Well, if he was the only one on top of the bus with the flamethrower, I think we're perfectly safe on that. What I don't know is, was he wearing a mask? That's true. I want to know that part. (laughs) You know, I get it. You know, you're trying to drum up publicity. Fortunately, you know, the flamethrower didn't set anything on fire, but I don't think you can just let it slide and say, oh yeah, no problem. (laughs) Just jump on a bus and throw throw
0: some flames around. It's all good. No. Where do you get a hold of a flamethrower, by the way? I don't think that's don't think something you pick up at the hardware store. I,
1: I don't know. Probably from like a group of acrobats or something, you know, <laughs> left over because they can't get a gig because of COVID. And <laughs> right. The right. circus is not in town anymore. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> so W.W. W. writes sort of sums up 2020 that this incident is way down on the list of bothering us lol Uh diane s reminds me of the beginning of lethal weapon four and tony t writes i thought flamethrowers were illegal in all 50 states (laughs) this is very unusual but you know what it's It's twenty twenty and we are round in that corner and you know, we all keep hoping once this once this year ends, right, everything's gonna be better. (laughs) I don't know. Incredible.
0: Only a few more weeks. We'll make it.
1: We will. We'll make it. Well, that's our program for today. Josh, we're so glad that you came and joined us and gave us your insight into some insane cases. People wanna follow you or they're sitting in a jail right now and they need an attorney.
0: And they love this podcast. Yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, you can find my websites at worksmanjackson.com. And I'm on Instagram at Joshua E. Ritter. Excellent.
1: And congratulations again on the baby Thank you so much.
0: And thank you for having me back.
1: Absolutely. And say hello to your sister. I love your sister. I will. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you can find me on all social media at Anna G News, Anna with one N. And you can, of course, find our content everywhere. Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube. You can get updates by subscribing to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, I'm your host, Anna Garcia. This is True Crime Daily, the podcast. And as we always say, don't do crime.